Our first reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 26, um, after which we'll turn back to Matthew 5, where we will read the first 12 verses. Matthew 26 from verse 69 to 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We turn now to Matthew chapter 5, the first 12 verses. Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So far the reading. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Over the past week or two, we've probably been shocked by all the disturbing images which have been beamed into our houses of mass graves uncovered at at Itzium in the Ukraine. These graves are said to be of civilians killed by the Russian occupying um, troops. Well, 81 years ago this week, exactly 81 years ago this week, close to the Ukrainian capital, more than 33,000 Jews were murdered by the Nazi occupiers. And shocking as those events might be, they are just a small picture of man's inhumanity to man. It's now 77 years since the survivors of the Nazi death camp Auschwitz were liberated. But even today, just even the name of this death camp vividly calls to mind the depths of depravity to which mankind can sink. Adolf Eichmann was one of those responsible for organizing the deportation and the, the killing of Jews. After the war, he was captured. He was brought to trial in Israel. And at that trial, Yehil Dinur, a survivor of Auschwitz, came face to face with Eichmann 
For the first time since he was a prisoner when he was sent to Auschwitz some 20 years previously. And Anil broke down, sobbing uncontrollably before collapsing. Now we might think that that happened because he was filled with, with rage or with hatred against Eichmann, or perhaps because of the horrendous memories of that camp, but this wasn't the case. He later said that at that very moment, at that very moment he realised that Eichmann wasn't the, the godlike army officer who had sent so many to his death, but that he was just an ordinary man. I was afraid about myself, said Deneur. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like he. It's no wonder that he collapsed sobbing. He came to the, the horrifying recognition that Eichmann is in all of us, as the host of the program 60 Minutes would later describe it. From a biblical perspective, he realised his own sinful nature. He saw that he was capable of the same things. He collapsed with tears of, of grief, grieving about his own sinful nature. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Friend, it's, it's this type of grieving that Jesus is talking about. Yes, there's also comfort for those who suffer personal loss. And we will look at that briefly a bit later as well. But the main thrust of Jesus' message has to do with grieving as a result of the recognition of sin. It has to do with contrition. It's about having the right attitude towards sin. And truly confronting our sin has to lead us to grief. It has to lead us to mourning over that grief, over that sin. And this second beatitude shows us both the need for that mourning and also the comfort that those who mourn will be given. As we start looking at this, as the, at this blessed mourning, let's first remember that, that being blessed does not mean that you're popular or that you have oodles of money or that you have all the power in the world. It doesn't even mean that you are the happiest camper around. Blessedness is the applause of heaven. It means that you're approved by God, that he shows his favour towards you, that he turns his face to, to you. This is the blessedness that Jesus is talking about. And with that in mind, that let's look then at what Jesus means when he says, blessed are those who mourn. Now friends, let me first say that that many sermons have been preached where this beatitude is, is taken as pointing to those who are mourning personal loss, those who are grieving over the death of a loved one, for instance. And there's no denying that those who are in Christ and who suffer, for instance, the loss of a loved one, will receive comfort for the Lord, from the Lord. The Bible is clear in that. Doesn't David tell us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for... You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Does not Paul say that God is the father of, of mercies and the God of all comfort? And is this God of comfort, Paul says, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we've been ourselves been comforted by God. And truly our Lord is the father of mercies. 
He is the God of all comfort, and he will comfort us in our time of need. But that's not what this text is primarily about. So what is Jesus then talking about? In the first instance, he's talking about mourning over our sin. If you think back to the first beatitude for a moment, blessed are the poor in spirit, you'll remember that it has a certain sort of intellectual content or component because it has to do with those who recognize their, their spiritual poverty, their spiritual bankruptcy, and they turn to God in repentance. But in this second beatitude, Jesus is speaking more about an emotional or a spiritual component in the sense that once we come to that recognition of our spiritual uh, bankruptcy, our souls should be stirred. They should be stirred to grieving over our sin. Jesus calls us, in other words, to mourn over our sins. We are to mourn because our sins are an offense to God. Now, none of us who are saved really want to sin. But there is a war waging in each one of us. There's a war waging in our souls, so we do sin. And we do so knowing that it offends God. But if we are poor in spirit, and we realize that we grieve our God through our spiritual bankruptcy, how can we not mourn that? How can we not mourn that? How can we not join Paul in crying out, wretched man that I am? So what does this mourning entail? Does it mean constantly having a long face? Does Jesus mean to say, blessed are the ones with miserable faces? Not at all. Does it mean you have to be of a sour disposition? Does Jesus mean to say, blessed are those who go through life with a scowl on the face? By no means. Does it mean blessed are those who are always in a black mood? Blessed are those who never smile or blessed are those ones who suck the joy out of others' lives? Not at all. But some have certainly taken it that way. The preacher Charles Spurgeon once said that some preachers were so grim and cheerless they looked like they had ties twisted around their souls. And the author Robert Louis Stevenson must have met some of those preachers because he, with cutting irony, he once wrote, I've been to church today, and I'm not depressed. Jesus doesn't tell us to go through life with a sour, miserable, unfriendly, or unhappy attitude. What this beatitude does tell us it is that those who grieve over their sin will be blessed, because that mourning leads to repentance. God's word tells us that in, in 2 Corinthians 7. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Think for a moment of the passage that we read this morning, of Peter's deep and bitter sorrow when he denied the Lord. This is how Matthew described it. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went, went out and wept bitterly. Peter's heart was cut to shreds and he wept bitterly. But friends, in his mourning, Peter's heart was turned back to God. 
The Bible does not tell us in so many words, but he must have experienced the comfort of God. For just think of how gracious, how gracious God was to Peter. How powerfully he worked in him. How powerfully he worked through him. And in his magnificent grace, the Almighty Father has rekindled our hearts. He's led us to repentance through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And that repentance led us to belief in and acceptance of Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. That godly grief worked through the Holy Spirit, brought us to salvation in Christ. And that godly grief also has the power of transformation and sanctification in your life and in mine. What a magnificent day it will be when we stop making excuses for our sins. When we come before our gracious God with repentant hearts, hearts that are weeping, weeping and mourning for the pain of the offence that our sin causes God. That isn't an optional extra. It isn't something that you and I can just decide to, to leave out of our lives if we are followers of Christ. For if we are truly sorry for our sins, truly sorry for the offence that our sins cause God, then our hearts need to be deeply touched. Our hearts need to weep and mourn so that we can continue to be transformed. Beloved in Christ, with our limited minds, we cannot begin to understand or, or know the depth of offence that sin causes God. But even if we don't understand that, we do know that every sin, every single sin, is an offence against God because he calls us to be holy, as we read this morning. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We offend God every time we do not place him first in our lives. Every time we lie, even if it is a so-called white lie. Every time our hearts are envious. Every time we swear at someone or something. Every time we belittle someone else. Every time we do not take care of the poor or those in need. Every time we click on that link on the computer that takes us to that site with pornography. Every time we steal a pen from work. Every time we say untrue things about others. Every time we do not honour our parents. Every time we think bad things. We dishonor our God. We cause offense to him. We sin continuously. Even if we do not want to. Now to say the least, that, that's bad for our spiritual health, right? Now that doesn't mean we have to go around with long, sad faces. But if we recognize this sinfulness, if we recognize that, it does mean that we also need to mourn over it. And we need to do that with repentant hearts. For if we put off repentance another day, we have one more day to repent of and a day less to repent in. Let me say that again. If we put off repentance for another day, we have a day more to repent of and a day less in which to repent. This is also something that we need to keep in mind in this time that we preparing to take part in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. As we examine ourselves, we need to keep this beatitude in mind. How are we travelling in our relationship with God? 
Do we come before him with hearts that are, are truly repentant because of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit? With hearts that are truly sorrowing over the offence which we have caused him? Because we know that terrible price that Jesus paid on the cross? Do we come before him daily? Daily? With hearts that sin, uh, sorry, that sorrow over our sin. Brothers and sisters, the morning to which Jesus calls us is also a morning for the sin of the world. Not just for your sin, my sin, our individual sin. All of creation lives under the curse of sin, doesn't it? The whole of creation is in bondage, as Romans 8 tells us. It groans under the weight of sin. Creation itself is also spiritually bankrupt. And if that's the case, and if we are truly repentant for the grief which our sins cause God, shouldn't we also mourn over the sin of others? Over the sin of the world? Surely the sinful state of the world should grieve us. Our mourning ought to be expansive. For the person who truly mourns or grieves over his own sins will also sorrow over the power and the effects of sin in the world. And scripture gives us examples of this. King David, for instance, uh, mourned about the state of the nation. His heart ached. He shed tears upon tears because God's people were unfaithful. This is how he puts it. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. This is also the case with the prophet Jeremiah. He is often referred to as the weeping prophet because of how he wept over the nation's persistent sin and the consequences of that sin. In Jeremiah 9 we read, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Chapter 13 he cries out, My soul will weep in secret for your pride. And least of all, not least of all rather, we know that Jesus himself grieved over Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Jesus wept over the people of Jerusalem because of their indifference. He wept because of their sad state. And they rejected that prospect of experiencing his peace. And sadly today, 2,000 years on, not much has changed. Not much has changed in this world. The world is still largely lost. We see it in how people live totally self-absorbed lives. We see it in the corruption under which so many, so many parts of the world suffer. We see it in the way that workers and the, the environment are exploited by companies in the name of profit. We see it in the low value of human life. If we look at murder, euthanasia and abortion. We see it in the disregard for the poor and the vulnerable. We see it in the way that refugees from war-torn countries are treated. And we see it more and more in our 
laws are changed to suit human preferences over God-spoken institutions, things that God has placed in our lives. Friends, these are not things that you and I can forget about. We are the people of God, called from the dark. We've been delivered from shame. We are called by his name. We are one holy race because of the blood of Jesus. One holy race, called to be holy, holy in our lives. And that also means that we are to not only mourn about our our sin grieves our holy God, but also about the other things that are happening in this world do not bring honour to him. These things are to affect us so deeply that we cannot help but to mourn over it, to grieve over it, to mourn over how God's laws are being disregarded and, and openly flaunted. We call to mourn the fact that sin is rampant in the world and our sorrow about the effects and the power of sin in the world must drive us to our knees in prayer before God, upholding the groaning creation before him. Brothers and sisters, are our hearts, are our emotions really cut to the deep for what is happening in this world? For what's happening in our nation? For what's happening in our city? Mourn for this crazy, sinful, and in some cases apostate world. Come to God with prayer, with sorrowing hearts, And pray for this world. Pray for conversion. For the light of Christ to shine not only into the hearts of of those you know, but also the hearts of everyone. Grieve over those who are lost. Grieve over those who are spreading a false hope in, in false gods. And pray for God's unstoppable word to be spread throughout the world. Come before, come before God with a mourning heart, a grieving heart for the grief and the offence that the sin of the world causes him. The first part of verse 4 speaks about the blessedness of those who mourn. In the second part of the verse, Jesus says that those who mourn will be comforted. Now there's a saying that when you laugh, the whole world laughs with you, but when you cry, you cry alone. Whether that's true or not is is up for debate. But what is true is that if you mourn over your sin, you will not be alone. If you mourn over your sin, you will experience the comfort of the great comforter. You'll be comforted by the one who walks beside you, the one who carries you. It is he who binds up the hearts of the brokenhearted. And this comfort, this, this binding up of the hearts, Binding up of the souls of the brokenhearted is based on knowing. It's based on knowing that your sins have been forgiven. But that is only available for those who belong to Jesus, who belong to Christ. And friends, that comfort of God is for those who mourn. That comfort is firstly for for the here and now. It is for the here and now because the Holy Spirit is here, now, with us. But even more blessed news, 
more fabulous news is that this comfort is also eternal. Those who come before God with a poorness of spirit, recognizing their spiritual bankruptcy and accept, accepting that it is in Christ alone that they are saved, they will mourn because they also recognize that their sin is an offense before God. And they will receive their final comfort in the presence of the heavenly Lamb. They will experience the comfort of the Father of all mercies. The God of all comfort will wipe every tear from their eyes. What an amazing promise, what an amazing comfort that is from an amazing God. Beloved in Christ, Jesus calls us to mourn for our sins, repenting of the wrong that we've done, but mourn also for the sins of others, lamenting the dishonour brought upon God's name. Mourn for the sins of the world, for the separation from God that it, that it, that it creates, that it causes. Mourn for those who suffer because of an injustice. Mourn for the unsaved, praying that God will rescue them from eternal damnation. And as we mourn, let's also remember the second part of that beatitude. We will be comforted. We will be blessed by that comfort. We will become citizens of the eternal city in the company of our gracious Father. And our godly sorrow, our godly sorrow will be turned into eternal joy. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I say this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing and inspired word. Thank you for the teaching and the guidance it provides in and for our lives. Thank you, Lord, especially for the words of Jesus which we read today. It's such a blessing to have your words spoken through your Son, Jesus. Oh, Lord, let these words have an impact on our lives. Show us, teach us, and remind us daily to come before you with hearts and minds that search for your will. And, Lord, through your Spirit, continue to work in us. Let a deep and abiding love for you settle in, in all of the chambers of our hearts. And Father, as we come to realise how our sin grieves you, as we think of the magnitude of the work of Jesus on the cross, please let that kindle in our hearts a, a daily repentance, a daily mourning for our sin, and also, Lord, for the sin of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.